Romans 10, verses 4 through 9, these are God's words. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. That sends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. We must be careful when we claim to be biblical. There are many people who claim to be biblical, and really what they are doing is they are misreading things from the Bible according to their own imaginations, or even worse, reading things from themselves into the Bible using the words that they find there. And this is something that Uh, Many Jews had done, many Israelites uh, had done, thinking that they were standing upon the sure foundation of Moses. So they are quoting Moses, or rather, Paul is uh, repeating what he has heard them say, uh, as we've seen him several times throughout the book, and several times already since the beginning of chapter 9, repeat things that he's heard people say in response to the gospel. Uh, And one of the things he's heard people say is in verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. And that is a quote from Leviticus 18 verse 5. But if we were to go back to Leviticus 18 verse 5, we would find that Three times in Leviticus 18, verses 1 through 5, God highlights that he is the one who makes the difference in his people. In fact, that becomes a refrain from, for the rest of chapter 18 in the book of Leviticus. Now, in God's providence, we have been going through the book of Leviticus, and just three weeks ago, we were in chapter 18. And so he has uh, mercifully helped us Uh, to be able to remember that. But even if we didn't remember that, even if we weren't able to go and look at Leviticus 18, verse 5, and see that uh, trying to use that verse to view righteousness from the law as something that we can get by our works does not work in Leviticus 18, the apostle goes on to quote, Another passage when he says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. And do you know whom he's quoting in verse 6? Also Moses. 
And so uh, we must be careful about claiming to be biblical. Uh, We need to read the Bible, uh, both in the local context and in the context of Scripture as a whole. Now, even if he had read uh, or quoted uh, from Samuel or David or Isaiah, uh, we would not say uh, that those were disagreeing with Moses, would we? Because it's the Lord himself who gives his word. And uh, so this is a helpful reminder to us that not only should we read passages according to the message that is emphasized by the particular passage and uh, with each part, each line, each phrase having its place in the message of that passage. So reading Leviticus 18.5 in the context of Leviticus 18.1 through 5 in the context of Leviticus 18 as a whole and Leviticus as a whole, but also because all scripture is breathed out by God, that no prophet spoke from himself, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We must read every passage of the Bible in light of and as informed by every other passage in the Bible. And this, of course, will be a great help to us. So what does the law say about righteousness? That's what... Uh, that's what he's getting at here in verses 5 through 9, which is why we have included verse 4, even though we referred to it and covered it in some measure last week. Because what the law says about righteousness is that righteousness comes only from what God has done by resting in God, by his work for us and his work in us. It's entirely by grace entirely through faith and therefore entirely in and through Jesus Christ. And so the law that had always offered a righteousness, not as if it were by works, but by faith in God who saves, has always had as its point, always had as its goal, always had as its end, Christ And that's what he says in verse 4, and that's what he's explaining in verses 5 through 9. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So this evening we'll consider uh, this portion of God's word under those these three heads. First, the law's point about righteousness. He's called it a law of righteousness at the end of chapter 9. But what is it that the law had to say? What is the point that the law was trying to make to Israel and to us about how a man is made righteous with God? And so that's the first thing we'll consider this evening. The law's point about righteousness. Uh, And then we'll consider the second place that if we try to set Moses against Moses, or even if we just try to understand Moses now, apart from what God has shown us in Christ, then we will miss that which gives us the most clarity, which crystallizes for us what God was already teaching and had already taught in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. 
But now, bless God, as the Lord Jesus does, in all that we know of God and all that we know of life with God and his salvation, he comes and he clarifies and crystallizes for us how a man is made right with God, that it is only by faith. And so uh, we'll, we'll see the danger of mistaking Moses uh, apart from Christ as we see uh, that uh, verse 5 uh, read in isolation from what he says in verses 6 through 9, can, by our mistake, by our flesh, by the darkness that is in our minds and hearts through sin, if we try to read verse 5 apart from uh, that understanding in verses 6 through 9, then we may end up in the same basket as Israel, in the same condition as Israel from uh, in verse uh, 31 and 32 of the past, uh, of the last chapter. And then in the last place, uh, after a warning about mistaking Moses apart from Christ, we'll see uh, how we are to understand Moses, and especially Moses on this point in Deuteronomy 30, verses 12 through 14, as clarified and crystallized to us in Christ. Uh, and that um, blessed uh, exposition uh, as the apostle uh, goes a line at a time through that quote from Deuteronomy 30 and gives explanation by Jesus of how to understand uh, each of those lines. First then, the law's point about righteousness uh, remember, it was a law, it is a law of righteousness. We read that in uh, chapter 9, verse 31. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness. It's a law of righteousness. But not everyone who pursues it attains to it. You see that in verse 31 of the last chapter? Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. You see, the law teaches a righteousness that is by faith. And so if we just know that the law is a law of righteousness, and if we just know that the law is a law that describes righteousness, but we think we can get there by our trying to do what it describes, rather than God working in us, that which works out in our doing what the law describes. If we think that it is by the works uh, that it commands, then we will not attain to the righteousness that it so mercifully and blessedly teaches us. Now, God's good providence to us, this idea of having him work in us by his word, that which works out of us by his grace, that, that in reference to sanctification. Here, uh, thinking especially uh, about his work in justification, which is true as well, isn't it? Even when works come out of us in sanctification, God is the one who worked in us to produce those works. But when faith and believing in our heart and confessing with our mouths comes out of us, none of which are to be thought of as meritorious works, 
But even that faith, even that speaking is God, uh, is the consequence of God working in us. And praise God, that was something that God had already taught, the Spirit had already taught through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So we know already, even from what we heard preached when we were there at the end of chapter 9, that God himself has always been the only hope of the righteousness that the law offered. Did you know that it's possible to know that and believe that and still not have that? Do you remember in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican or the Pharisee and the tax collector who were at synagogue together? And each of the men were praying. And bless God, we hope that we will be the ones who, who pray to God, have mercy on me, the sinner, uh, uh, most uh, accurately and completely literally translated. Uh, that was the prayer of the publican. Do you remember the prayer of the Pharisee? God, I thank you that I am not including not like this man over here. The Pharisee understood that justification is by grace, is by faith. And yet he was proud in himself. He knew the doctrine, but he did not have the reality of the doctrine. And so the Lord Jesus says, of the publican that he went home justified. But expressions of theological truth are not always the display or demonstration of actual theological faith. We actually need to engage God and know ourselves in the way that the Bible describes him and in the way that the Bible describes us. But God himself has always been the only hope of the righteousness that the law offered. And so Christ has always been the law's point about righteousness. This is one of the things that earlier in, uh, in the letter the apostle uh, is so glad about. You uh, can hear the uh, the discovery and the wonder coming through uh, in, uh, towards the end of chapter 3. Uh, it was obvious that justification was always by grace alone, through faith alone, but how would God accomplish this righteousness for us? How would he secure it? And in that last third or so of chapter 3, as he begins to talk about Jesus as the propitiation uh, and uh, and those being made right with God who trust in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, and he says uh, that, that God would vindicate his righteousness. Now he had looked and it appeared before as though he was passing over sin and not actually punishing it. And how can God justify a sinner? But finally, in the incarnation and obedience, and sacrifice of the Son. God is demonstrated as both just 
and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So Christ is the end. He's the key. He's the goal of the uh, of how the law always told us that a man might be righteous by the merciful, powerful, saving work of the living God. And not only in his incarnation, where God himself became a man in order to be our righteousness in the gospel, it's not the righteousness of a man that is for us by faith and from faith to faith. It's the righteousness of God. And so God himself became a man. Uh, but also he reveals and makes clear that this has worked, it has been accepted. Uh, and that you see at the end of chapter 4, where Christ was offered up on account of our sins, but he was raised on account of our justification. So that we can, we can read Leviticus 18 correctly, especially in the light of Deuteronomy 30, uh, and come to the conclusion that a man may be right with God, a man may have life from God, only by the sovereign, merciful, gracious work of God in which we depend upon him entirely by faith. You, you could come to those conclusions, but to understand how the Lord accomplishes it, to come to the goal, to the end of that teaching in Moses and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you must come to the knowledge of Christ, which, of course, Moses and Abraham and Elijah and all those believers have rejoiced over to see now. That brings us to men mistaking Moses by setting him against Moses. And that's these men who, these who have responded to Paul's preaching of this wonderful truth of being made right with God, depending entirely upon what God has done, and especially on, upon what God has done in Christ. And as the apostle has gone to, from Jewish synagogue to Jewish synagogue and, and preached this, one of the things that he's sadly encountered is that there have been many men like that Pharisee. When Jesus described the Pharisee and the publican, there have been many men who were sure that they were right with God by what they were doing. And yes, they, they might say, well, it's God who enabled me to do it, but I'm the one who did it. And so if you really pressed them, they found the difference between themselves and others, not so much in God who worked in them, but in themselves and what they had worked. And they would say, well, don't you know, Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. And they accurately quote, out of context, a portion of Leviticus 18, verse 5. Well, Satan accurately quotes the Bible sometimes too, doesn't he? Of course, he inaccurately quotes the Bible. He's an equal opportunity deceiver. But just accurately quoting the Bible does not mean that we are getting the Bible right or God right or salvation right. And so it's interesting. He uses, 
He names the author in verse 5, probably because that's how he has heard it. You remember one of the things that they accused Jesus of was that he spoke against Moses. And one of the things that they accused the apostles of was that they spoke against Moses. Uh, And perhaps, and it's often this way, isn't it? With somebody who has their favorite verse that they like to cherry pick for whatever their error is. Uh, They don't know uh, the rest of their Bible very well. And so perhaps the apostles even provoking them by not naming Moses uh, in verse 6 when he says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. They say, oh, I've heard that before. Where have I heard that before? And they dig through their Bible and it's Moses. It's a wonderful uh, account of uh, Dr. Schaefer at uh, La Brie, I think it was in Switzerland, and doesn't matter where. And um, they had a Jew staying with them, and uh, he had agreed with the Jew that he would uh, he would not read to him uh, from the New Testament. And one day, um, uh, one day, Dr. Schaefer uh, quoted the bulk of Isaiah fifty three. And the Jew got very angry with him and told him, you know, I told you never to talk to me from your New Testament. And Dr. Schaefer showed him in his Hebrew Bible from where he had been quoting. And the Lord actually used it to convert the man. But the apostle may be doing something like that here. And he's doing it very much in the similar context. Uh, if you... Turn to Deuteronomy 30. And here he just quotes from verses 12 through 14. Uh, But I think it's really helpful for us um, to read from uh, verse 11 to verse uh, 16. He says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off, And then the portion that's quoted here in Romans 10. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love Yahweh your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and Yahweh your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And you see, this absolutely destroys the idea that Moses was teaching a works principle in Leviticus 18, verse 5. Because here he's saying, if you do these things, it will be good and life for you instead of death and evil for you. And you say, well, that sounds like a works principle. Well, how can you say it sounds like a works principle when he's so emphatic in the passage 
that God has not brought this near by work or given you to get this by works where you go up to heaven or you go across the sea or you put it in your heart or you put it in your mouth. God brought it down from heaven. God brought it near to you. God put it in your heart. God put it in your mouth. So that the sanctification portion and the blessing portion And the life portion that's there in verse 15 and 16, which the apostle doesn't even quote here in Romans chapter 10. But you can see how resounding an answer it is to the misreading of Leviticus 18 verse 5. And so men mistake Moses apart from Christ. As the apostle takes us through then verses 12 through 14 of Deuteronomy 30, he's giving us a lesson that he discovered probably on the Damascus road because he too had been very proud of himself. A Benjamite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee above anyone else as to the righteousness that is in the law and he's using language that he would have used before, right? Before his conversion. Righteousness that is as if it were by works and not by faith. 9.31 and 9.32. Blameless. He used to talk that way. And then he met the resurrected Lord Jesus. And he discovered that God had come down from heaven to become a man. And he discovered that this man had lived obediently and died atoningly and rose again from the dead with power and was now ascended into glory from whence he addressed Paul on that road to Damascus. And he came to understand Deuteronomy 30. Yes, God had done this miracle in giving the law at Sinai, thundering it to the people, and then giving the rest of it to Moses and God by his prophet, even bringing it all the way down the mountain to them so that they didn't all have to go up the mountain. But God had brought it to them by his prophet and that they didn't have to go over the sea or make some great journey. He No sooner had he plucked them out of Egypt, that he met them in the wilderness and brought his his law to them there. So that when it is really in their heart, when it's really in their mouth, that it was God who had done that, not they themselves. And that's true so far as it goes in Deuteronomy 30. But there's a how much more, isn't there? When you think about the word as far as the words, the scriptures, and the word himself, God the Son. And so it was seeing what God has done in the incarnation, what God has done in the resurrection, what God the Spirit was now doing in giving faith and bringing conviction so that people confess what they believe about Jesus. It was in seeing and understanding and praise God by his saving grace, even to save Paul himself, experiencing that. 
that Paul came better to understand the teaching of the Spirit by Moses, the teaching of Moses under the Spirit in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 16. And so we see that Moses is a servant in the same house over which Jesus is the Son. Just as Hebrews 3, verse 1 through 6 teaches. Jesus didn't didn't oppose Moses, and certainly Moses was not opposing Jesus. He says there in Hebrews 3 that Moses was faithful in all his house. And yet one of the things that Christ had prophesied, or rather, one of the things that Moses had prophesied was that the Lord would raise up from among them a prophet like himself and a prophet that would supersede himself. So that when the great prophet came, that they were to listen to him, just as when Jesus and Moses and Elijah were on the mountain and uh, uh, Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter sees the three and he's astonished and he wants to make three tents. He's misunderstood Moses and Elijah altogether. Because Moses and Elijah also would say, hear him. And God mercifully, powerfully says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And so the book of Hebrews as a whole shows how not just in uh, in demonstrating that righteousness of God that is by grace alone, through faith alone, that Moses himself preached, but even by fulfilling and superseding all of those types and shadows, those ceremonies that looked forward to the Lord Jesus so that we don't do them anymore. There's been a change in priesthood. There's been a change in law. It no longer has to be repeated in the whole book of Hebrews. It was interesting to think this is probably some of what the Lord Jesus and Moses and Elijah were talking about. In Luke 9.31, sadly, our English version says, um, his decease, and then it footnotes it, and you get excited for the footnote, and then it says, literally, his departure. Oh, dear congregation, the word is his exodus. Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration about his exodus. So that the salvation that God had given his people in the exodus under Moses was a type, a figure. And it's used that way in the rest of the Bible over and over again, pointing to God as the one who saves us and saves us not just from Egypt, but saves us from all bondage, from bondage to our sin, from bondage to the devil, from bondage to the condemnation that the law rightfully pronounces upon us. But he doesn't just save us. He saves us for himself. He saves us by himself and for himself. This is what Moses had taught but how easy it is to mistake him apart from Christ. Praise God 
And the third place, he has given us to understand Moses now as clarified and crystallized in Christ. Coming now to look more carefully then at verses 6 through 9. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in, in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Now, I suppose that there were those among the Israelites who in retrospect thought that they could have done Moses' job as well as he did. Uh, although, uh, you know, the memory fades, uh, fades quickly uh, for them on that because when God thundered from Sinai, you remember, uh, everyone else in the whole nation of Israel was sure of one thing. They did not want to be the one who went up uh, to hear. They didn't even want to hear at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, and I suppose they, they might have thought, well, you know, any of us could have. You know, at one point, even Aaron and Miriam kind of say that, don't they? And uh, Dathan and uh, Abiram, um, Dathan and Abiram uh, say the, the similar thing. But then he adds the incarnation here. If we thought we could ascend into heaven to get God's word at, at Sinai, as it were, then we expose ourselves as fools. How much could any one of us have helped with the incarnation? Could you go up to heaven and make God into a man? You know, Samuel Rutherford um, used to like to say that his own conversion was maybe the second greatest miracle that he had ever uh, heard of God doing the first great miracle was God becoming a man. He bridged the creator-creature distinction. He added to the divine son without affecting his divine nature, without affecting his divine personhood. He added to him a true and full humanity. We can say those words, but because we have no way of conceiving or having access to what the divine substance is, we can't understand the greatness of what those words represent. You and I could not help the Lord Jesus become incarnate, become a man. Or who will descend into the abyss. And he's describing here, go across the depths uh, is the original that he paraphrases here. But he shows that the same point is, uh, is so plain in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Those who loved him most dearly, the best that they could hope for, was to get to the body with the spices that they had procured to attend lovingly 
to the corpse of their Lord. Could not resuscitate him, let alone resurrect him. His resurrection was not a mere resuscitation. His resurrection was with a glorified body. What could you or I contribute to that? And so when God, in, uh, by, the, uh, by the pen of Moses, when God the Spirit in Deuteronomy 30 says that putting the word in your heart or putting the word in your mouth is as impossible for you to do as to bring it down from heaven or across from the sea, we have a how much more, don't we? Putting the word in our own mouth, putting the word in our own heart is as impossible for us to do as to contribute to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus or the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So you see how entirely your justification is a work of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the giving of that faith that overflows from the confessing mouth is as entirely the work of God as the incarnation was, as entirely the work of God as the resurrection was. And so the word and God's ministry of the word to us is not something dead and far away that we have to, by the effort of our mind, understand and, uh, and form a, uh, a agreement with, or by the effort of our heart, agree with and be convinced of. Now God comes all the way to the sinner that he is saving by the work of the Holy Spirit who gives that effectual calling to those who love God, the called according to his purpose. Those whom he predestined, he also called. This work of salvation is by God who calls. And three, three times then uh, in the, that latter third or so of Romans 8, he describes the effectual calling that here is fleshed out for us as God bringing his word near and putting it in our hearts in a living and saving way so that it overflows from our mouths with conviction and confessing of Christ. If we have come to have that word of faith in God, which is now faith in an incarnate Christ and faith in a resurrected Christ, if we have come to have that word in our mouth and in our heart, it has not been by our efforts, but by God's almighty mercy. And indeed, God is almighty and most merciful. 
And so if you are here this evening and you have thought that you were saved by how accurate your theology was, or you were saved by uh, how well you had made your decision or sincerely you made your choice, then the scripture comes near, God comes near, and we pray that his spirit comes near to your heart, even as the word is spoken in your ears. It says, believe in the resurrected Jesus. Believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that he is Yahweh in the flesh. And you will know that it was by his grace that you did so. But you're not the one who goes and gets the grace. You hear the word that comes with his own power. And you believe. And you confess. And you know that he who gave the Lord Jesus to become a man is the one who gives you the faith and gives you to confess. And he who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead is the one who has given you the faith to believe and to confess him. And he will surely, he who did that in Christ and he who has done that in your own heart and your own mouth, will surely bring you into everlasting enjoyment of all of his salvation, not just justification, but all of that blessed salvation that God has intended and the Son has secured and that the Spirit is applying. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this portion of your word, for how it announces to us your blessed gospel, the good news of you as our God and Savior in your Son, who is our God and Savior, and the work of your Spirit in applying him to us, as he, your Spirit, is our God and Savior. So we pray for his ongoing work in our hearts, upon our mouths, and now in the rest of our lives as well, as you who have made Christ all of our righteousness before you, make the righteousness of Christ to come out in our character and our conduct as you conform us to him. Thank you, O God, that this righteousness and justification and sanctification is not, as it were, by works of the law, but indeed, as you have always taught us, is by your grace alone, through faith alone, in your Son alone, and to your glory alone, for which glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.